Thanks, everybody, for joining us for another episode of Boxed Wine and Witchcraft. Um, you've got me tonight, Melissa, and pretty much my most uh, often colleague here, <laughs> Zach. Yes, it is me again. We should just put you in as like producer, co-host, <laughs> all the things. Writer. <clears throat> Are you by chance drinking anything tonight? I'm drinking vanilla Coke. <laughs> I'm not much of a drinker, and funnily enough, so uh, Crumpus Nuts was a few days ago, and mm-hmm. at like nine o'clock, I like remembered all about it, and I'm half German, and I was like, oh, I need to go get schnapps. I couldn't find schnapps, like peppermint schnapps, anywhere. And seriously? Oh, I got amaretto. Now, I'm not much of a drinker, so... I've only ever had Di Sorono, which isn't technically an amaretto. I drank a shot of amaretto and it tasted like Robitussin. And it just compounds my already sincere belief that I'm never going to be a drinker that much more. Gotcha. Well, tonight I have a glass of the 19 Crimes, uh, the 2018 red wine. It's one of my favorite brands, really. Um, <clears throat> it's actually good for cooking. I, this, this is, uh, the rest of the bottle that didn't get poured into the Instapot with the chicken last night. So. Most of their wines are dry wines, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're good. And it's not stupidly priced either. So they're actually really good. Um, <clears throat> Mark so Moscato and Riesling kind of person. For the longest time, I was a big Wild Vines Blackberry wine fan. Mm-hmm. You know, $7 for the biggest bottle you can get. But <laughs> I have since grown up. Yeah. <laughs> fruit, right. fruit wines are okay. Yeah. So uh, what uh, what topic do you have for us tonight? So we're going to be talking about Guadalupe, Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, who also goes by, in my tradition, Tonancin or Tosi Tonancin. Um, in other aspects of her, we refer to her as Guatique which was one half of her ancient um, form. The other half was Mictacasiwat, who became uh, Santissima Muerte. Um, and sometimes I'll teach classes on how their sisters, their two sides, same coin. Um, but we'll be talking about her as well as the saint who she ministered to, San Juan Diego. And I'll actually be referring to him by his indigenous name later on, um, just out of respect for his culture and who he was prior to Catholicism. But her feast day is on the 12th of this month. And typically I don't talk a whole or give her whole detailed story since anytime I do talk about her, it's a quick this is our lady of Guadalupe. Her story is an indigenous man, uh, or she came to an indigenous man, asked you know him to tell the bishop, you know, to build a temple on Mount Tepeyac, and he tried, and there was a failure, and then he went back, and she told him again, and then she made a miracle for his uncle, and then there's him picking the flowers and showing the tilma to the bishop, and then there was finally a temple built. I don't really go into all of the details of that. So for reference, I'm actually going to be using a book by J. Allen Cross, Joshua Allen Cross, 
called American Brujeria, Modern Mexican-American Folk Magic. And in this book, he details the account of the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the life of San Juan Diego, um, which I believe Melissa still carries in her shop, if you want to look at it. We, we do. It's actually one that sells pretty good. A lot of people enjoy it, um, find good value in it. So let's start with the first apparition. San Juan Diego's name, his indigenous name is Guatatuatzin, which means talking eagle in Nahuatl, which are the indigenous of Mexico. Um, they are often referred to as the Aztec in the West, um, by Western e- English speakers, that is. But this is kind of the largest uh, civilization that existed in Mexico before they split off into the many other tribes. And many other tribes did exist. They were just much smaller. But most indigenous or most people who live in Mexico who are brown skinned or have indigenous ancestry can trace their, their, their history back to um, the Nahuatl. Most of them. Some of them are, again, amongst the smaller tribes. That would take a whole other podcast for me to go into the history of Mexico. But so we begin with Guatatuatzin and the first apparition of Mary or Our Lady of Guadalupe. So he was walking one day to go to church and he decided to take this hill this path that went along this hill. When he arrived at the top of the hill, this woman dressed in indigenous clothing appeared to him. And upon seeing this, he kneeled down, recognizing it as Mary, Mary the mother. This is the Catholic recounting of the story, at least. There is an indigenous version, but I'll discuss that briefly at the end. So seeing Mary, she told him, that she wanted a temple built on this hill and to go tell the bishop of what you saw today. So he made his way to the church, went to mass, told the bishop what he had seen, and he did not believe him. The bishop's name is Zumaraga. I'll refer to him as Zumaraga. He said, come back with proof. So Quetzalcoatzin walked back and told Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mary, that the bishop didn't believe him. She told him again for the second time, go to the bishop and tell him what you saw. He went back to the bishop, told him again. Mary was at this mount, Mount Tepeyac. She would like a temple built there in her honor. Didn't believe him again said, come back with proof. Knowing what was going to happen, that, or assuming Mary would just say again, go tell him what you saw, he decided to take a different route home. On his way back home, Our Lady of Guadalupe intercepted him and said, why have you not told the bishop this? Why why has my temple not yet been built? And he said, he doesn't believe me. And my uncle is very sick right now. I need to go see him. 
In this moment, she uttered the famous phrase for anyone who knows this story. No estoy yo aquí, que soy tu madre, meaning in Spanish, am I not here, I who am your mother. She was in a way chiding him that, if your uncle is ill, why did you not pray to me that I could help him? She then told him, don't worry about your uncle, he's fine. He's been healed. There's no reason to go see, there's no reason to get a priest for um, the last rites, holy unction, the last confession. He's been healed. So he continued on his way to go see that he was healed and he saw that he was. That was the third apparition. The fourth apparition came when Mary then told him, go back to Mount Tepeyac, find the flowers that are growing there pluck them, place them in your tilma, and I will see you there. Now, a tilma is kind of like a poncho, but much older. It was made from rough maguay cactus, uh, what's the word, fiber. It was a very rugged garment. It was used by peasantry. It was used by the indigenous. It was used by farmers. But just to visualize it, imagine it's just a giant poncho, a very long poncho, reaches down to the ankles. He went to the Mount Tepeyac, he went to Mount Tepeyac, the top, picked the flowers that were growing there, which were roses, which is very odd since this was happening in the winter, for roses to be growing at all. When he picked them and placed them in his tilma, Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared again, and she arranged them in a very specific way in his tilma and then said, go to the bishop and show him this. He went to Zomoraga, the bishop, and said, I have your proof. And he saw that there were roses and he knew just as much that they should not be growing at this time of year. When he let them loose from his tilma, Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared on that fabric. And most people who are familiar with the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. That is the same image that appeared on Dilma. This was proof enough. This was the fourth apparition and a basilica was later built in her honor. Now, the reason she wanted this temple built was so the indigenous peoples could come to her and give to her their problems. Uh, all of the distressing things that they were going through with colonization, and with the, the stress between the colonizer and the colonized. This spot was also historically to the indigenous, a place where there once was a temple and it was a temple to Kwa'likwe. Most people will say Kwa'likwe, whether it was to Kwa'likwe or one of the other goddesses, we're not entirely sure, but most people kind of through legend say it was to Kwa'likwe which is she of the serpent skirt. In the imagery of Our Lady of Guadalupe, whose name in Nahuatl is Kuatlashebeo, there's a lot of um, debate around what her, where her name comes from or how she got her name. There was previously a Guadalupe in Spain. Um, she was a Black Madonna. She was a Black-skinned, um, Guadalupe, or Black-skinned Mary. And there are some legends on, there was a statue of her that was buried, and then it resurfaced, and it was seen as a miracle, and again, 
whole other story. But one of the ways we think we got that name is through the, I can't say Englishization because it's not English, but the Spanish understanding of Guatlesupeo, which is she who stands or crushes serpents, she who stands upon serpents or she who crushes serpents. Um, but she, it would be appropriate that this was a temple to Guatlicue, who is known for being symbolized by serpents, um, and then she appearing. And in one of her images, she is shown standing on a serpent. There is the moon, the cherub holding the moon. And then on top of that, there's the world and then a serpent are on the world. So it seems as if she's staying on a serpent. It wasn't until 2002 that uh, Guadalupe um, was actually canonized. However, Our Lady of Guadalupe has been venerated in her Catholic form since 1512, 1519, somewhere in there. The indigenous, if you were to ask the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, would say, that is Donancin, that is our mother. Donancin translates to our mother. And it's a an umbrella term for all of the ancient, quote-unquote, goddesses of ancient Mexico. To the indigenous people, she's not Mary. She is the culmination of all of these mother goddesses put into this form that would be palatable to the colonizer so the indigenous could have a way to practice their traditional beliefs without suspicion. This is a very similar example of syncretism, like in the African traditions where the Orisha or the Loa hide behind the faces of the saints. December 12th is her feast day because that was the day of the last apparition where the roses and the tilma with her image were presented to Zumaraga. Now, if we go into a little bit of her symbolism, there have been some adjustments, adjustments made to her image throughout the years. The sun rays around her that are seen today weren't always there. Um, at one point, she had a crown that was painted onto the top of her head. And there's been debate on whether the cherub that exists under the moon that she stands on was always there or not. But her as just herself with her mantle of stars, her red cloak, her black belt, that has always been there. And there's a lot of significance in her clothing. Um, the stars that we see on her mantle are almost like a date stamp or a time stamp. If you connect the stars on her mantle, they show where the constellations were in the sky on the day of December 12th during her apparition to Zumaraga. Her red cloak is that worn of nobility. The black belt shows that she was still a virgin. She was unmarried. 
And there is a bit of a baby bump, and this leads into her being seen as mother. Now, to the Catholics, they interpreted this as the unborn baby Jesus. And there are a lot of uniqueness, there is a lot of uniquenesses to this image in particular. For instance, most apparitions of Mary are blue when it comes to her veil or her dress. There is no blue in this one. And this is the only one where she's pregnant. Catholics interpret this as her being the protectress of the unborn baby. Um, so the patroness against abortions. The indigenous, if you again, if you ask them, will tell you that's just a symbol that she's our mother. She's pregnant with us, her, the world, her children. She's a very celestial being to the indigenous. They don't refer to their deities as god or goddess. That's a translation. They're called the deot, which are kind of seen as um, forces or energies, but in an archetypal form. For instance, one of them is which if you go out during storms, the clouds that you see, the great clouds you see, and the winds that come with that, that is it's not a deity, it's not a personification, it's a force of nature. Um, so that's kind of what the indigenous still see, Our Lady of Guadalupe is. Um, it's not that she she is pregnant it's that's a representation of her holding us the world in her being she's very celestial in that sense you could think of her as the universe where the earth is inside the universe we her children are inside of her some of the popular ways that she is celebrated during her feast day is that this is a very um Central and South American thing, and you will see this occasionally still in like Spain and Italy, but they make these pilgrimages where they will either walk these distances or more commonly walk on their knees to these places. Um, in this case, the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe on her feast day, or rather days before, since it takes days to get there by doing this. And when she's when you finally get there you would make your petition or you would give thanks for previous petitions that have been made. You would light candles, you would um, offer ex votos, which are like these little, there are very, very, very few churches that still do this, even in old Europe, but they still do exist. You would offer these small little metal images of parts of the body that have been healed or um, sometimes people will offer the heart, uh, uh, an ex-voto of the heart, whether for a heart condition or for love that has been fulfilled. So sometimes they take a literal sense, other times they take a more symbolic sense. But it's through these, almost these self-mutilations of the body, essentially, um, that people kind of sacrifice back to this quote-unquote goddess. Um, other times, it's it will be celebrated by people who just attend mass on that day, um, because it's around the time of Christmas tide or Advent. I think it would technically still be Advent. 
there's this overtone of Jesus returning and her being pregnant. So like there are devotions for that. Um, the devotion to uh, the baby Jesus, the devotion to the infant of insert your child Jesus apparition here. Um, things like that will also be said on that day. But that is her story and a little bit about her symbolism. Now, for those that do like Christian magic, is she ever pulled in or venerated or called upon? So if you practice like the American folk magics um, or folk magic as it exists in Mexico, a lot. If you're going to pray to Mary, you're not going to end up praying to Mary. You're going to end up praying to her. Um, She is kind of a catch-all for all purpose of issues. Uh, Most people will go to her for love, but she has worked with with many curanderos uh, as kind of this, I don't want to say like insert for God, but almost like all, all, what's the word? Omniscient divine being. people will work with her for love people will work with her for money people will work with her for job getting um but the more we'll say professionals when it comes to you know magic and healing and things like that those who are curanderos and those who are hechiceras and hechiceros they're one of their biggest if not like the big one um, is Our Lady of Guadalupe. And, you know, of course, they're going to work with St. Jude. They'll work with um, Jesus Malverde and, you know, other folk saints. I don't see much of her when it comes to the Americanized folk magics like Brukrai or Powwow or Hoodoo, Rootwork and Conjure. She really is Mexico slash Mexican-American practitioners of folk magic that do anything with her. Um, does she have like certain color like candle colors herbs besides like roses that seems to be all most of her candles are going to be pink because again a lot of love working is done with her but also because of the association with roses um you can find candles of her that are in white for um all-purpose things you can find them that are green for money or in some cases uh freedom from crimes or from prison or from like sentencing when it comes to the justice and legal system typically though her candle is going to be pink but just like most things you can find her candle in any color that's appropriate to the working okay any certain um sayings prayers doesn't matter there is a prayer specifically to her that you will often find on the back of her candle and on prayer cards and it's the prayer of the rose um basically just saying reminding her i guess remember that you came to us for all of our distresses please hear this petition it's a very it's a actually i can read it to you merciful virgin mary of guadalupe show clemency love and compassion to those who love you and search for your protection may the sweet fragrance of roses each year divine 
reach your divine son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that he may hear our prayers, wipe our tears, and give us comfort and assistance. And then you would say your petition, say amen. That's one of the versions of the prayer of the rose. There's, I believe, two or three others. Because they were never codified. Like we have the prayer to St. Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a codified prayer. But there are other prayers to St. Michael as well that were that are less popular, but they are still sanctioned. Same kind of goes with the prayer of the rose. Okay. <clears throat> so I've never thought to work with her, but I figured... Um... She would be kind of close if you were doing any sort of Christian or hoodoo, you know, for female aspects, right? Especially for Mary. Can you do the rosary to Guadalupe? Most people will say the rosary with her. Um, Again, Catholics will see her as Mary. Anyone who practices magic kind of is in on the joke that this isn't really Mary. Um, For instance... Juan Diego is the baptized name of Gualatuaxin. We know both of his names. We wouldn't still keep on record his indigenous name if he was baptized. At that time, the only people who could read or write were the priests that were the missionaries coming in along with the colonizers. The only reason we have any idea of what his indigenous name was is through oral history, which was kept by the indigenous people. So they that clearly is proof that we have a story from their point of view. We have his story from the colonizers, and we have his name, Juan Diego, the Catholicized, the Spanish name of him, because that was written down. The colonizers aren't going to write down Guatlatuaxi. They're going to write down Juan Diego. Yeah, they can't spell it. <laughs> right. Um, so that kind of like leaves the question, well, then, if it wasn't recorded in history by the colonizer, how do we have that name? How do we know that name? Because the indigenous kept the story alive as well. So there are two stories to her. And again, most scholars will debate on whether this was an imported story from Spain um, that mingled or like overshadowed this legend that was an indigenous legend. Most practitioners will say it's the same story. It just depends on whether you're Catholic or you choose to believe other things. And it's also not weird in Mexico, especially, to be both Catholic, but also practicing these folk magics. Like a lot of people who practice with La Santísima Muerte, they identify as fully Catholic, fully devout Catholics. But Santísima Muerte is not a Catholic saint, officially. Officially, the Catholic Church made a whole statement on, you know, banning her and do not pray to her, she's bad, she's Satan, whatever. Um, but there are people who do work with her and just see her as another saint. Similar with Our Lady of Guadalupe, they choose to see her as Mary instead of Donancin, this culmination of indigenous goddesses. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I, I think people would be interested again to uh, have that class about how maybe even all three you know, Santa Marte, Guadalupe, and Mary all 
the uh inter not interchange but also likened to the maiden mother crown mm-hmm. you know, here so um <clears throat> yeah most folk practitioners of like america though if they're gonna work with mary they're gonna work with mary rarely are they gonna work with um early of guadalupe <sighs> In Mexico, it's a different story. With Mexican-Americans, it's a different story. But there are people who just follow Guadalupe who don't identify as Catholic or who may identify as folk Catholics only and not like follow anything that the Catholic Church deems as appropriate. They are called Guadalupanos. And a lot of the indigenous in Mexico will not say they're Catholic, but will be okay saying they are Guadalupanos, the followers of Guadalupe. Interesting. I'm trying to think if uh, people are very, um, you know, up here in North America, as uh, stringent as I am a this and not a this, depending on the deity they follow. You know? Um, People like me, I don't care. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I, again, if you're gonna be practicing some kind of folk magic in tandem with uh, one of the denominations of Christianity or Catholicism, it's you're generally not going to. The term that I use, and some of my like other fellow people who practice like a Christian form of magic, we just say we're heretics, like we're heretical, because though our tradition falls under a Christian guise or is founded on some Christian things, it you'd be burnt at the stake for it if you were seen practicing that back in the day. So we kind of just say that we're heretics or we're heretical. I call myself thrice heretical because three different times I've gone against doctrine. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I was baptized as a Christian, but I practice a folk magic where Christianity is involved. I'm a Buddhist, but I practice things that are underhanded and not so, you know, like karmically correct. Um, They're to benefit people, but mm, Buddha would have a problem with it. Um, And then societally, you know, I don't follow social norms. You know, I'm outside of the spectrum of being white. I'm outside of the spectrum of being a cisgendered heterosexual person. So I call myself thrice heretical. <clears throat> Stop overachieving. <laughs> <laughs> but she is now Guadalupe can be petitioned by anybody. She's not just a Latin American or Mexican or indigenous deity. She is she will help anyone. And that was kind of one of the reasons why she wanted her temple built was because the indigenous could come and see her in her aspect as they wanted to and have a safe place to worship her. But it was also a place that was Catholic enough that Spaniards could come. And it was, it became this kind of safe haven for the blending of these two cultures that were at war with each other. Mm -hmm. Very motherly, I'm going to force you to get along kind of a thing. You're going to learn to like each other. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. So for those of our, our listeners who are of the witchy persuasion, 
like I, I kind of dabbled into this a little bit with some of the questions, but let's get more witchcraft versus um, hoodoo. Um, what would be appropriate ways for somebody who's not of the hoodoo, you know, practice to say that's my goddess? You know, what would be the proper way to have her on the altar? Does she have a male counterpart? Um, if you're going to practice European witchcraft, I think it would be more appropriate if you're going to, let's say, be a blank, no undertones of anything else, Christian witch. Um, she does not have a counterpart necessarily. I would pick one of her images of Mary because you could try an attempt working with Guadalupe. I just feel like there might be some personal issues trying to mix her indigenous roots, which are in Mexico with traditional European witchcraft. That's very difficult to do. Okay. Um, just for the logistics of it. You know, it, it'd be like a curandero using agrimony, which grows in like England and Wales. Like nowadays you could get that. But if someone were to go to Mexico, you know, back in the day and were like, I need this curse removed, you know, what's something I could use? Mm -hmm. They wouldn't say agrimony because that's not something that's known to them. Right. Now, if you were to ask a cunning folk, you know, someone who was a cunning woman or a cunning man, they would know immediately what you mean. So I feel like there might be some issues when it comes to like the logistics of things. Um, you could offer Guadalupe offerings from Europe, you know, on an altar to her, like ham or, you know, pork products or whatever. But it would be more appropriate to offer her chocolate and gobal. You can offer her you know, fennel, but it's, it's almost like these things are so different that they don't make sense. You know, it's like hard to syncretize them. So I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm saying it would just be very difficult to do. There is Mary queen of angels. And in that aspect, you could say her counterpart would be St. Michael since he is the um, commander of the holy archangels. Some would put in tandem with her being this very divine feminine, the Holy Spirit, which is seen as the feminine aspect of God. Um, you have God as a whole. You have Jesus Christ as the masculine aspect. You have the Holy Spirit as the um, feminine aspect. You could put in tandem with her Jesus Christ in many Eastern churches. You'll often find diptychs, which are these folding two-boarded um, images that open up, and you'll usually have Mary on the left and Christ on the right. But with Our Lady of Guadalupe, it would be very difficult to practice traditional European witchcraft together with her. Um, if you can find out, great, great for you. That's not a problem, but I just feel like culturally trying to mix those two things together would be hard to do. It would be a very jagged practice. Hmm. She's also like, she's also considered patroness of the Americas and America all throughout America since we've been colonized is this melting pot. So again, I don't think it's, it's not problematic. The logistics are just hard to figure out. If you want to take the time to iron them out, go right ahead. 
have some time, some understanding and pay attention mm-hmm. you know, to how that's working. Let's see, what are some of her devotions? So there's the, the devotion to her that is most known in America deals with the salvation of the aborted child. And without getting into politics with it, I see her as a patroness of women who have undergone abortion. The Catholic Church will see her as someone who prevents abortion. I see her as the motherly figure that's needed when a person with a womb has to make that hard decision. She's a mother. She's compassionate. She's not judgmental. That's not to say that she won't come for your enemies if they're coming for you. But for those who undergo abortion, she's there to comfort them because no one just for fun has an abortion. You know, there's a trauma associated there. Um, And so I see her as, yes, she's a patroness of abortion, but not to prevent. She's there for the individuals who had to undergo it and now have that trauma they need to process. She is queen of the Americas or patroness of the Americas, um, north, south, and cent- north, south, and Central America. In some traditions, she is seen as, I don't know if this is specific to your lineage of Peruvian slash Indian shamanism, but in some lineages of that type of shamanism she is seen as like a representation of pachamama um and then when you get into like curanderismo she is seen as mary our lady of guadalupe as her own self she is seen as guatlique she is seen as tositonancin she is seen as the lighter side that deals with birth and life um of the coin of santa muerte where santa muerte is like you know death and rebirth Hmm. So she can be, if not your patron goddess, at least one of the saints, I'm going to use that term loosely here, that you can petition for many things. Rarely do I see, though, any one person who wants to practice like European witchcraft or traditional witchcraft as her, as their patron. Because European witchcraft, you're going to pick one of the Celtic deities or maybe, you know, even the Viking deities or the old English, Celtic, you know, Welsh deities. Um, now, if you practice folk magics of the Americas, that makes it a little easier. Um, maybe you could see her in Brakurai as just Mary and not Donancin, but even with Hoodoo or Conjure and the Brujeria and Magia and... Um, as she said, uh, it's a lot easier to like mix her in. I don't think, um, <clears throat> at least in my training, was there um, like a like Pachamama is like she is the whole earth. She's not um, like a being that walks on the earth or right. anything that ascended. It, it's just that whole motherly. Uh, the big rock we're standing on. Yeah. So, you know, um, not to say that there aren't other traditions that maybe kind of incorporated that, but um, the way the way that we were trained, 
Pachamama is Pachamama is Pachamama. Yeah. Um, so um, it'll be interesting. I'll have to ask around because there, there are a couple other traditions that we know of where uh, people have learned it and then they try to incorporate some North American tradition, you know, where they're taking the Peruvian and they're adding a medicine wheel. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not what, that's not how this works. Right. And that's where it becomes the problem is like, so I, as a Buddhist, we have the mandala, which is seen as this circular wheel shape that houses the different deities or the different pure lands. I have seen it referred to medicine wheel before. And I'm like, now this is, this is where we're start edging into cultural appropriation because we're conflating ideas that aren't mutually exclusive to the cultures they come from. Mm-hmm. And that's where confusion and then like bad practice comes in. Um, so yeah, I don't think you'd, for those of you who are, you know, want to be socially aware, I don't personally think there's any problem with seeing Our Lady of Guadalupe as a divine feminine mother aspect, because that's exactly and precisely what she is. She does not belong to any um, one culture. Now, Don Ancin, on the other hand, that's a different story. That's a different story. But because she is heavily Catholicized as Our Lady of Guadalupe, it'd be very difficult to culturally appropriate her in that guise. She's Catholic. Most of the world is Christian. You know, they were the ones that were often the colonizers and the, you know, the one, what is that saying? The conqueror writes the history. They were the conquerors. So mm-hmm. you can't really appropriate your overlord. <laughs> Even if they're not officially an overlord, like they have big sway across the whole world, you know? Right. So in the aspect of Our Lady of Guadalupe, I don't see that there ever being an issue with Mexicans or Latin Americans saying she's ours because we don't see her like that. We see her as Catholic. Don Ancin, we see as indigenous. That's a different story. Gotcha. So what else do you have for us in, in summary and wrapping up? Um, there are some devotions to Juan Diego. He was only officially canonized in 2002, so he's fairly new. Um, but on December 12th, since she is the, um, version of Mary, I guess, that I will say prayers to, or that I will recite the rosary with an, with intention with and who I wear on my left ear. Um, for those of you who have ever seen me in picture or in, in person, you'll see me wearing um, a dangly little earring on my left ear. That is a medal of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, <clears throat> and she is the one that I work most with. On December 12th, I usually will recite a rosary for her, and then I'll have medals that, that I'm gonna use later on in the year that I will bless on that day. So there are things you can do with that. Um, there is at least one sanctioned novena, but there are many other novenas that people have come up with. And then if you want to go down the rabbit hole of the Christian witch, um, for those of you who know what 
the book, The Way of the Roses with Perdita Finn and um, how they like pray the rosary, but it's not a Catholic thing. Um, it's become more of this just spiritual devotion. You could do that. You could make up the rosary um, in your own words and offer that to Our Lady of Guadalupe. I've done that before. Um, you would write petitions on that day, like candles on that day and novenas on that day or start them. Um, but on that day, some of her common offerings, if you want to start a relationship with her or give thanks to her um, or just honor her to see if maybe she wants to come into your life and become one of your helpers, uh, you know, bring her into the, those spirits that help you, your outer spiritual circle, as spiritualists say. You could offer roses, pink, white, or red. You could offer copal, incense, or chocolate, whether in bar form or in drink form, in which case I would offer her the Ibarra version of Mexican hot chocolate, not Abuelita brand. <laughs> um, Abuelita is very American. It's like very Mexican-American. Ibarra is like what you would drink in Mexico. Um, but those are some common offerings for her. Oh, right. Hmm. I might have to look into her. Just, well, I should say more into some of the traditions that may be in Peruvian uh, shamanism if, if anybody's tried to put one over the other. Or not over, I should say, but equate. I don't know if, like, what I've, what I've seen with Peruvian shamanism is that she's kind of prayed to as a saint or she is like a personified representation of Pachamama. I don't think they've ever like prayed to her as Pachamama. She's just like this image that makes it easier for us to associate with kind of like the Yadams in Buddhism. So we have Tara who removes obstacles. Well, the idea of removing obstacles is such a very vague thing to imagine. So we had to make it look human. We can gotcha. relate to that easier. Um, so it's a psychological thing more than anything, I think. Hmm. Well, how fun. You're actually going to be in the store soon. I and will. that's appropriate no matter what time you listen to this, because we try to nab you at least once a month. Yes. <laughs> and hopefully soon we'll have you at some of the psychic fairs too. Yeah. Um, this coming one, though, this coming day that I'll be there is actually the day before uh, the Feast of Guadalupe. Mm -hmm. So the, the releasing of this podcast will actually be a little late because I want to release it closer to her actual feast day. So it'll make sense. Yeah. Uh, in my mind, in my world, <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> Everybody else's, you know, schedule be damned. Yes. <laughs> Um, so if, if, uh, our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, how can they find you besides in our shop? You can search on Facebook, red cloth, white candle, brujeria. You can also find me on Instagram at T I O C U A H U I C L. And those would be the best ways to get a hold of me aside from bothering Melissa in the shop. <laughs> you uh you made the last live kind of fun 
Um, I always make the lives fun. <laughs> Lori, you know, she's like, I hopped on, then I had to come back. And she goes, I watched it later. She goes, that's Zach. And I said, I know. <laughs> Kept me on my toes that whole damn live. No, we don't have a Sag magnet for you. <laughs> I had to like hammer in the Sagittarius thing just to be annoying. <laughs> because for those of you who don't know, Melissa and I don't believe in astrology. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, we might have to have a podcast uh, session about the difference between um, the what is most popular here in America, like the Eastern astrology and like, um, you know, yours where you ran mine. And you're like, no, you're actually more deep water and deep. What was it? Metal, right? Yeah, you were very earth and metal. And then you had one most all of your aspects were like earth, metal. And then you had one that was deep water, which is very, very special because m- there's only five elements. Rarely do you get something like that that comes up. You know, so yeah, when you when you told me those, and I'm like, I could buy into that more. Mm-hmm. And this whole Eastern, you know, we can't sign this paper because Mercury's over here in the fifth house on this day and on the third Wednesday of the month. And I'm like, oh, whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> then the Tibetan calendar, there are days throughout the week that you shouldn't be signing legal documents or that you need to avoid war and litigation. Like it's never just this chunk of time. It's, this is a weekly thing. There's a Mercury retrograde every two weeks, at least. (laughs) See, how can you live life if you're just, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) Um, And the other thing that gets me into trouble is, okay, so you know about Western astrology. Mm -hmm. Well, what about these Eastern traditions that are in contradiction to what you're believing? Right. Why, why do they not influence you? Well, exactly. It's because you believe in this one thing and that belief is attracting itself to you. Mm-hmm. The astrology has nothing to do with it. It has to do with what you want to perceive and with what you already believe. Right. This might be a fun one to do with like me and you and like maybe Lori and somebody else that, that buys into it. Maybe Linda Wagner. She does a lot of moon, moon readings. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll have like two against two. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> Hank and I think JD, I think buy into astrology. Yeah. Hank is a little loose. Hank is more kind of like in between like you and I and them, you know, in, in his perception, it's something to be aware of, mm-hmm. you know, um, so you can make different decisions on how you're going to operate your life. Um, to him, there it's still an influence, but it's not like a end all be all. Mm-hmm. like how some are um so but yeah a lot of times on thursdays it's me against three other people me <laughs> and three astrology believers and um so that that day becomes debatable you know or debatious i should say so if you come in on a thursday odds are <laughs> you're gonna hear us kind of making little digs at one another about it um i'm like i should be recording this because this is how I- <laughs> yeah all right well thank you for uh another another session you are uh, very welcome but uh yeah come in stop in uh zach's schedule in in shop if you're local um is up on our website so um even if you don't want to necessarily book a session you want to just come in and, and meet the voice feel free come in say hi keep him busy so he doesn't harass me while i'm trying to work <laughs> and uh <laughs> i'm usually always there to give everyone my two cents <laughs> Right. So you're usually when you're in, you're in all white with your red belt. So yep. very easy to uh, to know that it's Zach if you won't recognize the voice. So uh, but when you're in shop, what is it that you uh, offer for people? 
So generally, I offer three things. Um, the first is readings. Um, when I'm with the public, I read with tarot primarily. There are a few other divination systems that I use as diagnostic tools. When we start, like if you're if you become like a regular of mine, where we're working on something long term, um, because those tools are more traditional to what I practice. But for general readings, I'll like, read with tarot. The second thing I offer are cleansings, which are known as limpias. And those will differ based on what it is your goal is. Um, it's generally always going to involve smoke and holy water. But if there are specific traumas you want to get rid of, it will change a little differently. Um, if there are things that you're trying to remove that are more spiritual and not necessarily emotional or mental, it's going to change a little bit. Um, I bring a whole bag of tools with me when I go to the shop. So pretty well equipped. And the third thing I offer are trabajos or workings. That's where you're going to see a lot of the other divination come in where I'm using other tools. Um, and I only feel trabajos are really needed. Um, if the primary divination says there's a lot of things that are going to get in the way, or if you come to me specifically for, hey, I want to fall in love. Can you help me with this? I need to land a job. Can you help me with this? And you've had some good success. Like, um, do you have any of the uh, testimonials like on your social media or anything? If anybody wanted to read it, I don't. I need a unburial, but I'd have to look up the testimonials. Okay. They're buried somewhere. <laughs> but people are, they're more than welcome to come in, talk with you, feel you out, decide if they want a session. Oh, um, yeah. And usually so, if you come into the shop and Melissa's busy, I'll be the one to help dispense some advice. If you already are set in what you want to do, I can give you advice on, here's some good herbs to work with. Here's a good book for reference. Um, I like to think I know Melissa's shop pretty well since I'm in there so often as a customer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you are there, you're there for like five, six hours. So uh, demeaning, yeah. demeaning you and Greg <laughs> and Lori and everyone else. Oh general. my God. <laughs> Being a general pain in the butt. Yes. <laughs> you're that little brother. We all never want to agree. <laughs> I'm the local gremlin. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, look at this one. Just ignore it. You know, <laughs> don't feed him. Just make him go away. <laughs> all right. Well, again, wrap up thank you so much for uh for this guadalupe uh information dispensary um for this day thank you for having me all right <laughs> and uh and we're done we're out yay